This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. It's now 9.35 a.m. on Wednesday, the 7th of September. Time for the SNM show. I'm Melissa Idris with Julian Ng and our guest this week, James Hay, founder of the Penguin Asia Fund. Welcome back on the show, James. Good to have you back. Good morning. It's nice to be back in Malaysia. You've been travelling, right, James? Yes, I've been on holiday. I've been to Europe. I've been to England, Italy, Austria, Switzerland. Oh, now you're just showing off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, the SNM show is where we rant about what's working in markets and what's not. But let's start today's show with something that's nothing to do with stocks or markets. Let's talk pangolins because the University of uh, Malaysia in Trunganu has a pangolin research and education program and funding for this initiative has been cut. So James, you are helping them out uh, to raise some money that they need for the next yeah. two years. They, they, need, they need approximately 190,000 ringgit for the next two years. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I've said that um, for every dollar that anyone gives via us, then I will match that. Ooh, so wow. with any luck, we can get pretty close. So the, 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 the more you give, the more you hurt. So just, <laughs> just, just look me up on pangolinfund.com and send me an email if you're interested. Very uh, good. Wonderful. I, I think they should divert some of the money that's been earmarked for that, that Hyde Park in KL uh, to, to this pangolin fund. Yeah, uh, this the is rainforest park. I think I think 650 million ringgit spent on enforcement of illegal logging um, and illegal poaching of animals in Malaysia would go a very long way. Go a very very extremely long way. Okay, so he's not just a stocks and markets man, but he's also yeah, make him hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well today's topic on the SNM show is uh, we're looking at whether buying equities is in fact better than buying bonds. Jules, you you and I we spoke about this um, a few minutes ago. The fact that investors so desperate for yield with interest rates so low have actually driven up the price of dividend stocks to really lofty levels. Yeah, James, I think you have a slightly different idea from I do because you believe that it's all it's equities all the way, right? But uh, here's the thing about bond investors. They need uh, some, some kind of capital protection but they're doing this by buying high dividend yield stocks. That's not a very good idea. It, it depends how long you're planning to live. I mean, if you're planning to live for, <laughs> for only, only for the next two years and you want an income and, and you want the value of the bond, maybe you're paying 95 for to be 100, um, then, then, then buy a bond by all means. But actually, if you're planning to live for, for a reasonable um, time frame, then a, a good dividend-paying equity will always make you much more money because as the company grows, the dividend will grow as well. So yield is not static like in a bond. If it starts off at 3%, perhaps in 10 years' time, it'll be 8% on your initial entry price. But of course, the value of the share will have done an awful lot more as well. And if it's effectively still yielding 3%, it's almost trebled in, mm-hmm. in that scenario. Yeah, I think so. You're, I think you're, of course, a very true blue um, equity investor, and uh, I, I'm not sure how old you are, James. But uh, you are you are you going to I'm be planning to live more than two years? <laughs> <laughs> more than two years. Okay, uh, you're going to be, let's say, at 70 or 80. You're going to still be buying equity. It's my hobby. Yeah, it's my okay. hobby. I mean, I, I do this as a hobby. I'm very lucky. Uh, my job is my hobby. Yeah. But so I mean, we're talking about the risk of. Uh, for me, I, I can't understand the shift. There, there's this crazy definition of risk. Right, and, and, and I think it was, is it Charlie Munger who said they, they've got to teach something at business school so they come out with all this stuff. So we <laughs> talked about standard deviation. Now I promise you, at the age of 15 or 16 when I did my maths level, they tried to teach me standard deviation and I couldn't get it. And people still try to explain it. I'm actually over 50, there's no chance of it going in now. <laughs> but quite frankly, the risk is losing your investment. 
the, the, the variation and what people refer to as volati- volatility, uh-huh. and they get that wrong as well because people only talk about volatility when things go down, not when they go up. So technically, it should be up and down. Okay. Um, but but if, if, if you can invest for it, properly invest, which means holding something for a long time, you can expect things to go up and down. You can measure it in standard deviation or however, however you want. But over the long term, a good business, the value of its shares will grow and its dividends will grow with it. Mm-hmm. So you make more money. So let, let's talk about the long-term growth of equities. And I, I think that uh, a lot of things that are happening uh, around the region in the country as well uh, really discourages us about uh, how we do things around here. For example, uh, today we carried the news that uh, a power project was uh, the 4B uh, was uh, track 4A. 4A, sorry, mm-hmm. was awarded on direct negotiation and uh, not open tender. And this has got to do with the degree of corporate governance, um, not only in Malaysia, but around the region. I mean, we've heard the kinds of horror stories coming out of uh, Chinese companies as well uh, from the mainland. Is this so uh, directly correlated to the long-term growth of stocks, you think? Of course, corporate governance is everything. I mean, effectively, you're, you're trusting the owner of a business. And very often in, in Southeast Asia, the owners of the business are, tend to be a, a, a family, mm-hmm. um, tends to be a patriarch, quite often his sons and increasingly his daughters are in, are in the business, but he controls that business. He controls what happens to the cash that that business generates. Now, he might only own 30% of it or 50% of it, but if he decides to blow that cash on something non-related, then the minority shareholders are not going to do well. And it makes it very hard to invest in this part of the world because corporate governance is so poor in many cases. Well, looking at your uh, most recent newsletter, so you, you've said that over the, for, over the past 11 years, um, you've only ever invested in 54 names. And that's because you make it a point to go and look for uh, well-managed but undervalued companies. And that limits your pool, you say, because you need to meet with the management, right? We have, yeah, we need to meet with the management. We have to feel comfortable. It's not like people investing in the fund. They have to feel comfortable with me that I'm not going to start doing things which, which, which are not fund-related with the money or, or, or not core investment strategy related. Um, you can find so many companies, in Malaysia in particular, which do things which destroy value. They could be a small company, an advisor can tell them to issue shares for no good reason apart from they get more shareholders. That dilutes everybody else. It raises money they don't need. They'll have a warrant issue, which is effectively a delayed rights issue, which may or may not um, actually result in any money being raised. But, but James, I mean, yeah. that's subjective, right? Because you may think that the company doesn't uh, doesn't need to raise the money, but the, the, if it needs to the raise owner... The mo- if it needs to raise the money, have a rights issue because then you know you're getting the money, right? I mean, you can actually... Actually, you can analyse a... You can analyse a company fairly well and you can see if it needs to raise money or not. So, and, and very often companies get investment advisors or in, um, in, in, uh, yeah, in investment, investment relations. In, in, no, sorry, <laughs> well, investment bankers, investment relations advisors. <laughs> yeah. And I used to do that. When I was a broker, I used to go to companies and tell them, I think you should do a 10% share placement. We'll get you lots of institutional investors. You know, they'll all be Matt Saleh from, from overseas. And, and, and the guy puffs up a bit. He's got these big names. In, in a his suit, a, yeah, in an ATM and, and everything else. Um, and, and, and he issues new shares to get into shareholders. For, for what reason? The company gets money it doesn't need. Um, it just dilutes the whole thing. So, Do you think part yeah. of it is due to um, the uh, apathy of the shareholders in Malaysia as well? Are they in a position to be a lot more activist about the, the, the shareholders? Uh, yeah, I think they should be. Um, I, it's not just in Malaysia, it's everywhere. I mean, you, uh, people don't go to annual general meetings. We do. We see very few other fund managers. Um, I think it's, it's very... I, I'd, I'd encourage all people who own shares in Malaysia 
to go to AGMs, not just to tap out the food, but in particular um, to, to question the, um, the management, but also to question the, the non-executive independent directors who are there to represent minorities. Let them know that, they, that you will have a problem with them if they don't look after you. Properly. OK, we've all been there where we've gone to AGMs because of the nasi goreng or whatever buffet that they're offering. But, you know, um, to be completely honest, there are very few AGMs that uh, you do see activist shareholders kind of coming up and asking, you know, putting putting the directors kind of on the spot. But I, I'm curious to know about the way you do your due diligence or the way you meet with these companies, right? So what exactly are you looking for, James, when you say you meet with all these ma- the management of these companies and you say, well, we are looking for well-managed but undervalued companies? Okay. What exactly okay. is that? So, so, so something can look well-managed and undervalued on paper. And right. you can look at the track record. That's the great thing about public equities. They've been around, most of them have been around a while. You can look, look what they've done in the past. You can see what they've done with the cash flow the business has generated whether it's been sensible, whether they've stuffed shareholders in the past. You go back to 1998, see how people behaved in a financial crisis because if they behave badly, then they might do it again. It's possibly in, the, in their DNA. You then go and meet the management. Um, if, they then, if, they to, if they make... If they're Padini, for example, one of my favourite companies, I always <laughs> here we go. Right? Here we go again. If they're Padini, for example, they will tell you, they will talk to you about selling more clothes. Right? That's all they'll talk to you about. You can go and see another company. They say I want to be a really big company. We 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 sell shirts as well as Padini, uh, but actually I'm going to go into property development, and I've got a friend who's offered me a coal mine in Indonesia, um, <laughs> and, and and we're going to have a, a, an employee share option scheme, uh, 15% equity, which dilutes everybody else, and all sorts of stuff. And suddenly you start getting very scared. Yeah. We, we see a lot of that because yep. uh, the oil and gas sector used to be uh, the darling of the stock market, right? Every company or other was trying to go into oil and gas and, and then oil prices ca- crashed and then they started going into property development. It's, yeah. uh, it's quite but, ridiculous. But, but the problem is that this short-term thinking, trying to make a, a quick buck by the management actually destroys the value. And then if you come back to another of my favourite companies, Nestle mm-hmm. or, or even BAT, which I hate because it sells cigarettes, but if you look at the corporate governance, what these companies do is they say, We've got this much cash generated. How much do we need? Right? So let's say we need 100 million. We'll keep an extra 20 million for a rainy day fund and everything else we've dis- distributed back to shareholders. We won't sit there with a big pile of cash wondering what to do with it. Maybe we'll buy some shares. This happens quite a lot. Companies have share portfolios. Mm-hmm. They have unit trusts. Uh, we came across a company which speculated in Australian dollars a few years ago. Lo- of course, it lost, um, <laughs> etc. There are so many uses of cash. So I always say to a Buying private to- assets? Buying private assets. Buying assets from themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Going into all st- if people have got cash in their pocket, they want to spend it. Yeah. Right? Give it back to the shareholders. Then if you want to do these sidelines, do them yourselves. Don't do them with shareholders' money. That's what we and, and actually finding companies that really do that, which are also well managed and undervalued, <laughs> is hard. Challenge. That's, that's why we've only owned so few companies. Okay, it's now nine forty six. We'll be back with James Hay, founder of Pangolin Asia Fund, in just a few minutes. So stay tuned right here on the SM show, BFM eighty nine point nine. Good morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's now 9.49. Time for the SNM show with James Hay, founder of Pangolin Asia Fund. We were talking earlier about uh, the need to ensure that, you know, a good corporate governance will lead to good performance in equities. Uh, now, James, the way you do, you run, you know, the way you do business, right? You uh, say that you've only invested in 54 names over the past 11, uh, 11 years. And that's because you make it a point to make sure you know the management of the company you're investing in. And to do so, you meet with them regularly. You and your three colleagues meet with managements uh, three times a week. And the number is about 600 or so per annum. 
Yeah. That's crazy. That's the average of uh, two companies a day. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so yeah, but I mean, actually, for, for for someone to meet three companies a week, if that's if that's your focus as an analyst, as opposed to sitting there looking on screens and watching prices go up and everything else, if your if your focus is to go and meet businesses, it's quite easy to do. Why why is it so important to meet them so regularly? I mean, you can do you can kind of spread it out, right? You don't always well, we get don't, everything we you don't need. Meet, face we don't to just face. see three companies, you know, two hundred times. We see lots and lots of companies. Every Michael Caine said, and, and <laughs> every time he made a movie, he learned something he's made lots of movies but he's only he made has. about five he's only made about five good ones right <laughs> even if you see a, a, a bad company you tend to learn something yeah i remember going to see one company many years ago which actually said you should go and see padini i'm back to padini again <laughs> but, but, but 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 there we are um it's incredibly important to understand how the management thinks what drives them you know forget about margins and and and, and ratios and everything else because you can get all that off off off, off the balance sheet but um to actually talk to the guys say what are your plans how are you going to do it? Does it make sense? Are they going to stick to what they've been doing? And generally, we've gone to see a company because we like what it's done in the past. Is that likely to continue? And you get a feel for that by seeing a business. I have to ask, though, yeah. have you ever been fooled? Yes, of course. Of course. But <laughs> even despite the, the of face-to-face? Of course, absolutely. You see, the problem is the best con men are, by nature, the best con men. They tend to be the most convincing. <laughs> yeah. You won't um, be able to tell. We, we, had silver, we bought Silver Bird, about the first thing I bought ever. Um, we lost half our money. We, and I started the fund with 10 stocks, so we were down 5% sort of in a year. Luckily, I got out after a year. And what did you learn from that, oh, no. James? <laughs> well, we learned, right? That company had a lot of debt. Um, you know, they, they, they were pretty convincing guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, we, we lost. Of course, I mean, the, the, the good news is I've been doing it a long time, so you get better. Mm. Uh, my, my colleagues have also been doing it a long time as well. So, so I think we get better. We're, look, we're looking for cash. We're, we're looking for... A, it's a fairly narrow band of things we're looking for. So is, that, is that how you filter um, the companies that you visit? Because uh, 600 companies a year, but you only hold 54 names, that's an extremely low conversion no, we, we rate. only hold about 20. 20 yeah, names? At the yeah. moment, yeah. At, we at we moment. sold a few. We're like Silver Bird, we're sold. <laughs> yeah. um, absolutely. It's, it's a low conversion. We, we, we're high conviction. Half the fund, uh, about 46% of the fund is in five names of what's invested. Um, I, think, I think 10 names make up about 67%. That's very, very concentrated. We don't care about this volatility which people talk about we or, just want or to diversification yeah. <laughs> for that matter no no absolutely not and and if you if you read your warren buffett books or whatever you realize that he doesn't either yeah. um and and the point is that you are trying to make money you're not you, and you're trying to make money over the long term you realize that some things are going to go wrong sometimes but if you do enough research it shouldn't go too wrong you hope and if it does go wrong if you've underpaid for it or paid very little for it your downside is much less than if you paid mm-hmm. 20 times earnings i think the one of the key uh, characteristics of how you do your work also is the fact that you hold these stocks for almost forever, right? Do you uh, actually... Well, and, and, unless things go wrong, right? And, yeah. and then we have to sell them. After it, the fact. Yeah, it's not to do with the share price going up normally. It, it, it's whether the company itself stops generating the returns which first attracted us to the business. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you a good example. There, there's a, a company in Singapore which we wanted to see. Um, it's the largest retailer of IT in Singapore. Um, and they wouldn't see us. Um, it's called Challenger Technology. Um, and it's, it's a very strong business, very strong cash flow, number one in Singapore. They just wouldn't see us, wouldn't see us, wouldn't see us. Um, but, Why? Um, because they don't see people. They just find meeting people like me no a, corporate a, governance. a pain in the neck. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no corporate governance is fine, just yeah. no, in, no investor relations, yeah. basically. Um, they wanted to get on with managing the business. That's fine, too. Um, so 
I said, well, we'll come to your AGM. We bought some shares personally. Um, I, I got three nominees. Three of us went to, to the meeting and we asked all our questions. And one of the things which I alluded to earlier, which they'd done many years ago, was they had bought Australian dollars with their excess cash, of course, lost money. And I kept banging on about this. And, and their AGM, which normally lasts about 10 minutes, lasted about an hour and a half because some of the other shareholders joined in too. <laughs> At the end of the meeting, um, the chairman wouldn't shake my hand. And he, didn't come, and, he, and, he, and he didn't come down. Um, you know that you've done something yeah. right yeah. when that happens. And he, di he didn't come down to meet the investors either. He was in, he was, he, he, I hope he's not listening to this. He's not comfortable about it. It's fine. So, it's fine. So, so anyway, I started buying shares immediately. I mean, I walked out of the building and I phoned a broker and I said, start buying, buying shares. This was many years ago. Um, anyway, about six months later, the finance director agreed to meet us. And he said, I don't know why you want to see me. You don't like us. I said, nonsense. We've been buying shares every day for the last six months. Yeah. Um, and, and now, actually, we do have a better relationship. And the chairman shook my hand at the last stage. <laughs> there you so go. that's yeah, been yeah, resolved. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go. But if, we, if they won't see us, we, we try and force a way in. But if we can't see them, we don't bother. We, do, we just move on. There are plenty of other companies. James, I'm just curious because uh, a lot of times uh, the market lingo and market jargon, we talk about outperformance all the time, chasing alpha and so on. I don't. Could you tell us what your uh, performance and your returns have been over the course of the last decade or so? Uh, well, since we started, we've annualized just over 12%. 12% per yeah. annum. That's, yeah. that's pretty up, good. Up until about three years ago, it was 16%. Yeah, is that in ringgit or in US in dollars? In US dollars. In yeah. And basically, the ringgit and the other currencies <laughs> have really hurt us the last few years. Yeah. I mean, our, 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 I think our currencies are up about weighted sort of 3 to 4%, and the fund's up about 14 percent this year so we're 10 percent outperforming the in dollars yeah the the the, the currency appreciation 9.55 right now and you've been listening to the SNM show thank you so much for being on the show James my pleasure that was James Hay founder of Pangolin Asia Fund and a diehard Rolling Stones fan so for him here's Sweet Virginia by the Stones to take you to the 10 o'clock news on BFM 89.9 Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.